the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Here's the reality for every true believer. When you're truly born again, your sin has been paid for in terms of its eternal penalty. No hell for the believer in Christ. The penalty of your sin that merits eternal damnation, the wages of sin being what? God has paid for that in the person of Christ in terms of that immediate consequent falling out on you. You and I never have to worry about that. There is therefore now no what? Condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. I thank God for removing the penalty of sin. You find yourself in sin. Your desire is to seek forgiveness, but there's also a fear there, an unrealized fear that says you won't be forgiven. But it is a pressing in that needs to be a part of our lives as believers in Christ if we do find ourselves in this predicament. We're in the 32nd Psalm and the 5th Psalm as we take a look at David's response to the forgiveness of his sin with Bathsheba and her husband. That day at Bible study with Nathan is the focus of our time today. Join us there. Here's Pastor Jessica Stand with today's broadcast of Way of Grace. God let the plague go. God took his hand off the plague simply because Pharaoh confessed his sin. Do you know that? God relieved Pharaoh of the judgment. Now, what God is teaching his people is he forgives sin when once we what? Confess our sin. When we acknowledge our rebellion against him. Now, albeit, I just want you to know, Pharaoh, not he didn't really totally repent. We read the last verse of chapter 9, and it says this, uh, of Exodus chapter 9 there, about Pharaoh in verse 35, and the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken. Go back to our text. I want to show you something now. Why did you share, us, share with us that point, Pastor? Because God deals with all men the same way to bring them to a point of acknowledging the first principle that's necessary for salvation. You and I are rebels against God. God brought Pharaoh down and gave him an opportunity, didn't he? Well, what he's doing in our text is the same thing with David. Notice what David says in Psalm 32 again about what God had done when he dried him up and his soul was famished and he's in this place of weakness. Notice how David puts it here in Psalm 32 verse 4 as we move to the turnaround. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. And then we have this little phrase, it's a salah. It's a symbol and music really that says pause. We're getting ready to now change and go to another stanza. And some theologians say that this is a pause of silence, and others say that this is a pause of shouting, like a trumpet being announced, a trumpet blowing as a break in the segment. And I am going to suggest to you that now what David wants you to know is God has brought him down. 
God has broken him. God has dried him up. And the next verse that we're looking at is the verse that's going to describe David's turnaround. Verse 32, uh, verse 5 of chapter 32 says what? And I acknowledge my sin unto thee. Do you see? So point number three in your outline is what? That day at Bible study with Nathan. Right, that's the historical narrative. So you know that in 1 Samuel chapter 12, where David has spent about a year keeping silent about his sleeping with Bathsheba, God gave Nathan the assignment to come to David and do a Bible study with him. Remember that? That day, a Bible study with the king. And so Nathan lays out the parable in, in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And you know how the parable goes. Some rich man takes another man's poor ewe lamb, right? Y'all know the narrative, right? David gets all hot and angry in his self-righteousness. Go get that man. Let's kill him. And these are the words that God speaks through Nathan to David after God is bringing David down. See, Nathan would have not done this Bible study on this day had God hadn't gone before Nathan to break David's heart. See, David, Nathan could have done that Bible study. David could have seen the gospel. He could have rejoiced in Christ. He could have talked about righteousness. He could have ran around the whole of the kingdom, but he would have never saw that he was the man. See, in other words, verse 3 and 4 show us that when we rebel against God, God doesn't have a problem with waiting and pressing down on you and pressing down on me until we get to that place that we can only do one thing, acknowledge our sin. You guys got that? Acknowledge our sin. Now, verse 5 in our text is really describing a beautiful day. So there are three or four things under this particular point that I want to uh, affirm so that we can move on and deal with why David is dancing. That day of Bible study, when uh, David is confronted with his sin, do you remember what it said in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13? God quickly said to David, when David says, I acknowledge my sin, God said what? Your sin is pardoned. Your sin is forgiven. David, I have forgiven you of your sin. Wasn't that good news to David that day? But do you see all that David had to go through to get there? But will you notice the mechanism that God uses to bring David to that place of hearing your sin is pardoned? The Word of God. The preaching of God's Word. David is sitting in that normal place, as Christians do, in a Bible study, where most of the time the Bible study never comes home to our heart. And then one day what? It does. And there's a radical change. David said in verse 13, and David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord hath what? Put away your sins. You will not. If that's not the gospel, I don't know what is. See, when you and I understand the complexity, the burden, the weight of sin, here's what we agree with. Would you agree with this? I cannot put away my sins. I can't clear my conscience. I can't make my heart right. I can't stop my soul from trembling. I can't put away the anxiety of my rebellion against God. Can I? Only God can. And when he does, is that not a day of rejoicing? That is a day of rejoicing. That is another day of rejoicing. And so again in Psalm 
uh, 32, verse 5, there are some things I want to call your attention to because here's what David does. He says, that Bible study forced me along with God's providence to acknowledge my sin unto who? He acknowledges his sin unto God, doesn't he? Now watch the the process that unpacks here. It's fairly simple. I want you to get it. He doesn't just say, I'm sorry. He says, I acknowledge my sin unto unto you, and my iniquity have I not what? See, for a year, David was hiding his iniquity. Isn't that what Proverbs 28, 13 says? Whosoever covereth his sins will not prosper, but he that confesses and forsakes them will have what? Mercy. See, David is no longer what? Hiding his sin. He's no longer hiding his sin. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you. My iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will what? Confess my transgressions. This is amazing. I want you to look at the three words here for a moment. The first set of words he uses is, I acknowledge my what? Now, I want you to think about sins in a relational level. I want you to think about sin as being something you do against someone. Because that's truly what it is. When you sin against God, you're sinning against a person. So, let's not, let's not miss the impact of the re- relational connotation of the word. David says, Lord, I have sinned against you. That means he acknowledges God as a person who can be offended. And can God be offended? So, when you value someone, you want to let them know, I recognize I have injured your reputation. I have injured your glory. I have injured your relationship with me by how I acted. Because God had set David up to be a model of God. So, to whom much is given, much is what? Right. When the king behaves wickedly, does he not blaspheme God's name? When the people of God behave wickedly, do we not blaspheme God's name? Is that what David is saying? Lord, I have sinned against you. Right. Now he moves into another technical term. These are two different Hebrew words, and the terms are technical. Now he says, and watch this. He says, and my iniquity have I not here. Do you see that? Right. So now iniquity has to do with the way in which you sinned against God. It's literally the word to twist or to bend. And it's the idea of no longer walking in the right way. What David said was, I got out of the right way. I perverted my walk. I perverted my authority. I perverted my privileges with you, and thus I sinned against you. Whenever we use the term iniquity, it has to do with the way or manner or expression of our sin. Then he uses another word that gets us more technical. He says, I will confess my what? Transgressions. Now, literally, transgression is violation of God's law. So what are we talking about here? You and I can look at God and think in terms of, what well, he has a body of truth called law that we can violate. And in violating God's law, we're not violating God's person, but we are, right? So we can talk about crossing lines and going beyond transgression means to exceed the boundaries of the parameters of God's law, right? But it doesn't have a relational connotation to it like sinning against someone, right? So what God wants you and I to know is that God's a person. What God wants you and I to know is that God loves righteousness. And what God wants you and I to know is there are boundaries that he sets up that he does not want us to violate. Are those legitimate parameters for a relationship? Yes, they are. God's a person. He has feelings, if we can use that anthropomorphically. God has a way in which he wants us to go that pleases him. It's a straight way. 
not a twisted way. And God has parameters and boundaries that God wants us to walk in, His laws. And where we violate those three, we are going to find God's heavy hand of discipline upon us, are we not? This is exactly what David is saying. And I think that if you were to go to Psalm 51, you would discover that God uses, uh, David uses that same triad as well when he's talking about confessing sins to God. He sinned against God. He walked in iniquity. He transgressed God's law. But here's the thing that I want you to see in the latter part of verse 5. He says, and you forgave what? The iniquity of my sin." Now, if you really actually like the Bible and like the Word of God, aren't you going to pause and say, now what does David mean here? You forgave the what of my sin? Does he mean that God didn't forgive him of his sin? No. What does he mean? It means that God has recognized that David's perverse ways does merit him dying. But God has stopped short of that in David's life. Now, here's the reality for every true believer. When you're truly born again, your sin has been paid for in terms of its eternal penalty. You got that? No hell for the believer in Christ. The penalty of your sin that merits eternal damnation, the wages of sin being what? God has paid for that in the person of Christ in terms of that immediate consequent falling out on you. You and I never have to worry about that. There is therefore now no what? Condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. I thank God for removing the penalty of sin. But ladies and gentlemen, can we tell the truth? He has allowed the presence of sin to still be in our lives. Has he? And that is what we have to reckon with. The presence of sin and its power. Because what David is dealing with now is having allowed the presence and power of sin to pervert his way. And what God is saying to David when he says, I have pardoned your iniquity, I have forgiven your sins, he's reminding David that he doesn't have to pay the eternal penalty. He's also reminding David that the perversion of his iniquity does actually merit physical death. Why? Because he committed adultery. Is that right? He committed adultery, didn't he? And what does the law say? The adulterer must be what? God mitigated that. He did not put David to death. He forgave David of that transgression, as he would you and I when we come to God right. A bunch of us are adulterers, are we not? If not physically, spiritually. And God must mitigate our perverse ways if we're going to live. What David says, you have forgiven the iniquity of my sin, the iniquity of my sin. And really that word can also be translated, the consequences, the outworking of it on a physical level. This word is used in Genesis 4, where remember when Cain killed his brother Abel? And God told Cain, listen, I'm going to make you a vagabond. You're going to roam the earth now forever. And Cain said, my iniquity is too great for me. Remember that? The burden of my iniquities. In other words, he says, I could not bear the consequences. And so God put a mark on him. What David is saying is God forgave David of the perpetual unending consequences, which would have been death for David. Now, you and I know David suffered a lot as a consequence of this action, didn't he? And yet he's dancing because God has forgiven David his sins. Now, going back to point number one, because this is what I want you to see, why David is rejoicing. He says, I acknowledge my sin unto you, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my 
sin, my transgressions, and unto the Lord, and you gave, forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now, I don't want to go through verses 6 through 11. There's a lot there. Go back to verse 1. The reason for which David is dancing is because God has forgiven him of his sins. And here's what David says. Blessed is the man whose transgressions are what? I want to talk about that briefly. It's the Hebrew word which describes the act of lifting up. The act of lifting up. The act of lifting up. There are two words for forgiveness in the Old Testament. This word is the word for lifting up. It means to raise something up off of someone so that they no longer are burying it. It means to lift it up and then it also means to carry it away. This verb describes what Christ did as the typical scapegoat in the Yom Kippur uh, um, um, offering of, uh, of, of atonement for the children of Israel when the high priest lays his hand upon that goat and all of the sins representatively of the people are laid on that scapegoat and that scapegoat is driven away into the what? into the wilderness, never to return again? Well, this is what is meant by your sins being lifted up off of you, carried away, never to come back again. This is what God did for us in Jesus Christ. Do you agree with that? Do you agree that when John said in John chapter 1, 29, behold the Lamb of God, which what? Take it away the sins of the world. Do you agree that this must have been a massive emotional and psychological blessing for David to be reminded that his sins were lifted? His sins were carried away, never to come back again? Right. See, because when we're under the condemnation and guilt of our disobedience, we feel the weight of it, don't we? And only God can lift our sin. Only God can carry our sin away. Only God can take our sin away and cast it into the sea of forgetfulness. Only God can cause our sins to be remembered no more like that, right? You do agree with that, right? That's what David says this word here in uh, verse 1 part A is. Blessed is the man whose transgressions are lifted up, carried, and taken away, whose sin is what? Oh, I want to close with this one. Because this one is going to help us for the next three or four messages around the forgiveness of sins. David uses another word here. It's not the same Hebrew word for lifting up and carrying away. It's literally the word to cover over. To cover over. Now, why does God, if he already has lifted up your sins and taken them away, cover your sins? See, this is the tension of Christianity that people have to understand, don't we? On the one hand, I am the righteousness of God in Christ so that God views me as without sin in the person of Jesus. Would you agree? On the other hand, I am still a sinner. Would you agree with that? And as such, God knows I have a sinful nature. God also knows I will continue to what? Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to get this. While God has taken away the eternal penalty of your sin in the person of Jesus Christ, what he has to do with the remaining sin in your life is cover it. Somebody better rejoice in that. Somebody better rejoice in that. Somebody better rejoice in a God whose nature cannot look upon sin. In a God 
who has every right upon the moment of transgression or sin or rebellion rising up, exterminated. But rather than destroy you, he covers your sin. He covers your sin. He covers your sin. He covers your sin. Stay with me now. I want you to get it. This is why David is jumping around happy. Because God has covered his sin. Because this is the paradigm running all through the scripture. God's solution to keep you in the house is to cover your naked butt. God's solution to keep you in the house is to cover your naked butt. See, he lifts and takes away your sin for himself. He covers your sin for you. For you. See, he covers your sin for you so he can keep hanging out with you. Is that right? Stay with me now. Stay with me now. This is why he that covereth a multitude of sins seeketh love. Love covers. Love covers. Love covers. And what the Bible doctrine teaches all the way from Genesis to Revelation is God covers. He covered Adam and Eve, did he not? He covered the high priest, did he not? He covered Joshua the high priest. And he covers you and I with the righteousness of Jesus Christ too. He covers us with his spirit. He covers us with his son. We are robed in the righteousness of Christ. And when you and I engage in that essential relationship factor that God calls for, confess your sins. God is just and able and faithful to forgive you of all sins, right? That's what he does. That's what he does. David said, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven trespasses covered. It's what God did for you, what God did for me. Let me close with an observational word as we prepare to partake of the table. I want you to get out of this today is that transgression of sins are forgiven, put away in Christ, but they're also covered in order that God might sustain a relationship with you. Did you guys get that? So just listen to these words. I want to finish here. Forgiveness of sin is not a license to do whatever you want. Please understand that, that if you don't recognize the true estimation, worth, value of what God did for you, you will not love God. If you don't recognize the true value and estimation of what God did to forgive you of your sins, you won't love God. Forgiveness of sins is for you to love God. Secondly, forgiveness of sins It's God's exclusive means to liberate us to love, serve, enjoy, and know God forever without a threat of rejection because we still do sin. It's a framework of relationship for growth in character, calling, conduct, through a right attitude about God and others. Ask Jonah. One more thing. It is not an arbitrary fiat. God doesn't just forgive sins. It is an essential bilateral contract between the offended party and the offender. 
conditioned to repair, sustain, and develop the relationship into its ideal goal of a perfect union in all of God's covenant models. You see how important forgiveness is? Forgiveness is to bring you all the way to glory. God wants you to get to where he is. And thus, forgiveness is always there. When you and I are properly impacted by forgiveness, and we're about to partake of the table now, true forgiveness of sins will punctuate a decisive change in a person's character. When it's impacted by the reality of his undeserving mercy and grace, you will live letting everyone in the world know you are nothing but a brand plucked out of the fire. Amen. Such a wonderful time here in God's Word. It's our hope and prayer that you're growing in grace as you take the time to study God's Word with us. We thank you for joining us. This is Way of Grace, the ministry of Grace Bible Church in Hayward. We would leave you with an invitation. If you enjoyed the time you've had with us today studying God's Word, please consider this a formal invitation to join us in person. Sunday services at Grace Bible Church in Hayward are at 11 a.m. Sunday schools at 10. And then, of course, the Friday Bible study. We've got a lot of folks from all over and from a variety of churches joining us Friday evenings at 8 p.m., for this Bible study. You're invited to either one. We're located at 20450 Royal Avenue. That's here in Hayward. And the zip code is 94541. You can also get directions at our website, grace-bible.com. Again, that's grace-bible.com. Or simply call for directions, 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. 9782. As always, we have CDs available. You can download the messages off our website or call us and order a CD of today's broadcast or any program that you have heard here on Way of Grace. We'd be more than happy to get one out to you. You can call us at 510-886-9782 or stop by our website, grace-bible.com. We do thank you for spending time with us today. Trust we'll see you next time we get together for another broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.